Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Hunting Seasons, a podcast about two friends catching up on notable television shows one season at a time. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And this is episode two. Today we'll be discussing season one of the first show in our cancelled category, Dead Like Me. How are you going, Damask? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Been a good week. Been a good week. A lot of television was watched this week. Yeah. Yes, it was yeah. a lot. <laughs> a little bit more than last week. A little bit more than season one of Breaking Bad, to be sure, though I think we can look forward to season two being a bit longer of that as well. Oh, is it? No, yeah, I think good. it's double, actually. Oh. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I better clear my schedule then. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's get straight into it. Uh, the obligatory spoiler warning. On this episode, we will be covering everything that happens in season one of Dead Like Me. However, we will not be discussing anything from future seasons, so you don't have to worry about being spoiled there. If you have not yet watched season one of Dead Like Me, we suggest stopping the podcast and going and doing that if you'd like to, if you just want to hear our thoughts and are not particularly worried about spoilers, feel free to keep listening, but you have been warned. All right, so let's get to the nitty gritty, the important details before we start our own discussion. Mm -hmm. Dead Like Me is a two season Showtime original dramedy, I would say. Would you just classify as that? I mean, sure, if I had to. If you yeah. had to, okay. I was thinking dramedy, comedy, yeah. uh, maybe more broadly. Yeah. That first aired on June 27th, 2003, created by Brian Fuller, who also created Pushing Daisies. Uh, he co-produced Star Trek Voyager. He's actually got a famous story about how he became a television writer because he wrote spec scripts for Star Trek, I believe. Oh, really? Yeah, and cool. so he joined that mid-season, f- about season four, I think, and then ended up making his way up to co-producer doing that, which is pretty cool. Uh, He co-produced Heroes as well, um, and he's producing or show-running, I believe, the upcoming American American Gods. American Gods, yeah. mm, Which is, I think it's HBO, and that's based on Neil Gaiman's... I don't think it is HBO. It's not HBO. I don't think so. Maybe it's AMC or something like that. It's like AMC or FX or something like that, Oh, it might be FX, you might be right. But he's doing that, and interestingly enough, this happened just as we started looking at um, Dead Like Me... He has just left the new Star Trek Discovery show, which has been in production now, I think based off the success of the Star Trek series with okay. Chris Pine and all that. Oh, yeah, I didn't even Jameson. know that show existed. Yeah, it's coming. Oh, okay, so it's coming. It's, right. it's not out yet, but they're sort of in production. It's meant oh. to start next year. Oh, that's pretty exciting. And he was show running, and right. as recently as a week or two before we recorded this podcast, he announced that he was leaving. Oh, that's interesting. But, so that was, you know, but he's doing... American Gods, so we've right. still got plenty going on. Anyway, moving right along. Uh, let's not get too sidetracked. Mm-hmm. Um, and the show stars Ellen Muth, Ellen Muth, M-U-T-H. I think it's Muth. Muth? I'm not sure. Because I, I watched the season one trailer mm-hmm. and it, they said it funny and I think it was Muth. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 
and Mandy Patinkin, to, mm-hmm. I think is the right way of saying that. Who mm-hmm. American uh, treasure. American treasure. Mm-hmm. Fantasy treasure. It, I'm assuming he's American, not Canadian, right? The show, actually, this Dead Like Me, was filmed in Canada, I found out. Yeah, um, Vancouver, so I think. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that he is Canadian. But of course, I he's, mean, he's a very famous Broadway star, so I just assumed he was American. But... And film-wise, famous for playing Inigo Montoya... Oh, yeah. I always forget he's in that. Yeah. <laughs> he's so good. And The Princess Bride, which I mm. sadly had only watched in the last couple of years, actually. That's bizarre. But... Yeah. Well, listen, this is a show about catching up with things we should have watched. That's if I was doing true. a movie podcast, that would have been one of them. <laughs> anyway, uh, the show was fairly well received, uh, at least critically, um, but didn't last past season two, which is why it's now mm. cancelled category, um, mainly due to poor ratings, at least according to Showtime. Though there's some conflicting reports on that one. Um, but it did continue to have a bit of a cult following even till today and actually got a direct-to-video movie. Um, I, everything I read on that was pretty much saying, do not watch that movie. Well, this so. is something I was going to discuss with you at the end was whether we should watch that too after, after we see season two. I don't think so. We'll see how we go. Well, yeah, well, if, if we get to the end of season two and want more, exactly. we always can. Yeah. That's true. We can always make a bonus podcast on that one. Anyway, that came out in 2009, which is five years after the show was cancelled. Um, according to IMDb user La Chela, I bl- oh, El Chela, I believe is how it's said, Dead Like Me is the story That's of That's definitely a- how it's said. <laughs> something like that. It was, yeah, it was, it was very confusing. It's probably El Chela. Get a better username. Like, is the story of a college dropout, Georgia George Lass, who was killed by a toilet seat that falls from the Mir space station on her first day at a temp agency upon death. She is recruited for a team of Grim Reapers, undead who mix among the living and take people's souls just before they die. Along with fellow Reapers, Mason, Roxy, Betty, and Lita Rube, George discovers life after life. I thought that was a pretty good description, so I went with that one. That was very good. Once again. Well done, L blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Once again, just ripping off somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, I figured if I, you know, if I reference them and their yeah. name, then that's fair game. Well, that's the... It's working, so just keep doing that. I will. Just that's, keep ripping stuff off the internet. That's exactly how we do it. Plagiarism is an art of its own. Uh, just a bit of a breakdown of what we watch. Season one, 14 episodes long, each coming in at around 44 minutes. Mm. The full first season took us 10 hours and 29 minutes to watch. There you go. So that was half a day of our week. Felt like a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> so to speak. No. Hey. Uh, so, the big question is, why haven't we watched this show yet? I had been told many times that I would love it, and the only reason I can think that I haven't seen it is that other shows tend to get in the way. Mm-hmm. Things that are a little bit newer, I guess. Did you have a lot of people telling you to watch this show? or I think you mentioned last week... A particular friend that loved it and said I would love it as well. Someone you trust a lot about their taste in TV? Mm, yeah, I'm, we had a lot of um, TV shows that we loved in common Mm -hmm. so i assumed i would love this as well i had watched another one of brian fuller's cancelled tv shows uh wonderfalls which i really quite enjoyed actually yeah i've heard good things about that one yeah um but yeah just never got around to it sure i i'd literally never heard of it before (laughs) i had no idea it existed until you brought it up as an option for the show of the podcast so so that's the main reason just did not existed that's a pretty good reason Sure. All right. Well, let's move along. Um, we'll start by talking about sort of how the pilot starts. So we've already mentioned 
The main mm. character here is George. She's an 18-year-old girl. Uh, she's a bit of a dropout, sort of dropped out of college, is mm. looking to get a job. Her mum wants her to move out. Really. Directionless, on her first day at a temp agency, on her lunch break gets hit by <laughs> this falling debris from the... Yeah, toilet seat. Exactly. Toilet girl, as she gets known as through the rest of the mm. show, um, is dead. And then finds out that she's not moving on to the afterlife. She's been recruited to be a Grim Reaper. That's right. And then she meets Rube at that point. Maddie Patinkin's yep. The head character. Grim Reaper for, mm-hmm. I guess, their division. Which their division is very important too. Their division is external circumstances and accidents, I think, yes, is the whole like idea. Yeah. They're meant to be taking... There's different divisions. Some people do murders. Some people, some reapers do suicide and those sorts of things. There's and a plague division that we meet at one point. That's right. And so in this instance, they're meant to do accidental deaths, which I think was probably devised because they thought, for the sake of comedy, mm. which tends to be what this is going for, that would be the funniest. Yeah. Um, yeah, watching people get murdered every week, I think, was kind of undercut the comedy. But well, you never know. it's interesting. They talk about that in the show a little bit about how, as a reaper, you need to find the comedy in death in a way. You need yeah. to be able to find the lighter side in death to do the job that you're doing. And I think at one point, they uh, George compares them to hitmen in terms of how they have to be emotionally detached, mm. which is an ongoing problem through the show. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so she joins this reaper division. She re- meets Mason, who is basically, I think his defining characteristics are his English yeah. and he's a bit of a... He loves drugs. He loves drugs and women. <laughs> yeah. That's his defining characteristic. Yeah. What we, a guy. We have Betty, who is, uh, she's pretty, um, I think mm-hmm. is her defining. She's sort of bubbly and enthusiastic and... It's definitely bubbly, yes. Bubbly. And then Roxy, who's the oh. meter maid, who's like the badass, black, older woman sort of she's, character. She's sassy, um, but sassy's probably the wrong word. Because that's kind of got a negative connotation. I keep thinking of Shirley and Community as like, what'd you call me? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what'd you yeah. call me? I think she is sardonic and has a lot of attitude. Sure. Um, but is extremely funny, which I appreciate. Cool. In something that is meant to be funny, right. such as this dramedy. And in this first episode, uh, the first job that George gets, she finds out she has to take. Well, she doesn't find out until she gets there. Mm. She gets on a train. She knows she's taking the soul of someone on a train and finds out it's a little girl. Yeah. She's probably like six, seven, eight years old, something like that. Mm-hmm. And so the moral quandary there, of course, she doesn't think it's fair. She doesn't want to take... She doesn't like the idea of a little girl dying and so she actually actively saves her. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, is told, explained to by Rube, her mentor at this stage, that if she doesn't take her soul, her soul will essentially rot inside her body. That she will have a bad life of some sort. I I was wondering if he, by that he meant that you become like some sort of sociopath because like you don't... Possibly. Yeah, I wasn't sure exactly what that that would mean. Somehow their life would be tainted anyway and it was going to be a bad result and that this person had this appointment with death and if they didn't die, Mm. then that would be it. And so George decides then to take the soul of... Or, yeah, she touches the girl, which is the mm-hmm. thing the Reapers have to do. They have to come in contact with the person and essentially releases their soul. And then the girl drops dead and the soul passes on to the next life. Yes. And that sort of sets up what the episode by episode sort of thing is going to be. There's a lot of people dying, a lot of the Reapers taking people's souls and so forth. Mm. So let's start with the pilot. What did you make of the pilot? What did you think of it um, and sort of the tone the show was setting up for you at that stage? Mm. It was very long. 
Mm-hmm. It's, it's over an hour, the first episode. Yes, it's very, very long. Which is not uncommon for no. a show to have like a movie-length opening to set things up. And there was a lot of lore and mythology to set up here. Absolutely. I'm not saying it wasn't warranted. It was just unexpected because not knowing really much about how the show ran, I expected it to be a 20-minute episode kind of deal. Sure, you thought that was the ongoing format. Yeah, it like wasn't that. Minutes. It was 40 minutes, mm-hmm. which is a you know, big difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was expecting a laugh-out-loud comedy. Mm-hmm. That's not what I got. Mm-hmm. So I had to adjust to that during the pilot. So okay. not only was I trying to understand all the lore and that kind of thing and get to know a little bit about the characters, I also had to adjust my expectations. Sure. Um, yeah, what, what about you? How did you go with the pilot? Uh, the pilot, I thought, uh, if I'm thinking through it, there's a few things that catch my mm. attention that we can probably talk through one by one mm-hmm. in a way i thought i think the character of george is interesting just in terms of what she is in terms of a mm. lead character certainly she plays that role of um the fish out of water the new person you know you want someone who's outside this world to come in so we can get explained the rules of the world yeah. to us as she finds out as well um but she's a very lethargic, dry sort of character. She's a person... Very interesting for a lead. Very interesting for a lead. To have very little enthusiasm and sometimes very little reaction. And she does. She definitely has moments of crisis Mm. and internal crisis. She's often trying to, as the show goes on, beat the system for moral reasons, things that she thinks are unfair. I mean, even at the beginning of the pilot, um, during a voiceover, she says... I excel at not giving a shit. And that's pretty much how she goes through life and and death, I guess. And moment to moment, Mm. that is often the way it is. Moment to moment, she doesn't care about a lot of things. Um, Which is interesting in a character, but okay. That means your character's got somewhere to grow. Um, And yeah, the character does grow to some degree over the course of the season. But I would Mm. say that that continues to really be her mainstay. Yeah. Did you... I've not seen this actress and stuff before. What did I've you think never of her, seen her. Um, in general? I didn't particularly like her performance. Well, because mm-hmm. I'm I'm unsure whether it is the writing of the character, the direction she's been given of the character, or her mm-hmm. performance as an actor. I'm not sure um, where those lines are. Mm-hmm. Obviously, because I don't have that behind the scenes knowledge. But I didn't like George. Yeah. Um, I didn't... I find it really hard when you've got someone who's so sardonic or acerbic who isn't funny. Because mm-hmm. I think you can have a character like that. Like, you know, you've got your Darius and that kind of thing. Totally. Who, or your Jeff Wingers even. Yeah. That sort of thing. Who yeah. are kind of in the same vein. But they are funny. Mm-hmm. And there's a bit of life to them in that way. She doesn't have that. She seems to always just not really care yep. until she has a moment here and there where she does. Definitely. And then it's hard to make those leaps with her because I don't have any emotional connection. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when she's turned away at the door by her mother and she obviously gets very upset and she's running off, I didn't really feel anything because she had never really felt anything until sure. it was in that exact precise moment. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting. I think there's a lot of places we can go with this now. Let's talk about characters in general for a second. Mm-hmm. So we sort of understand what we think of George as our lead. Yeah. Who are your, who are your favourite characters, do you think? Roxy is definitely stand out okay. to me. I 
she was written really well. Mm -hmm. She made me laugh. I wanted to know more about her. Mm -hmm. I was interested in her backstory, although I don't think they did a great job with that. Yeah, it was pretty clumsily handled. It was. The episode that focused on that, so that's episode, if I'm looking through my notes, I think that was episode 10, Business Mm. Unfinished, which is an episode that does involve actually the sort of the side characters a bit more. That's the one where Roxy is trying to swindle some money out of a, a, uh, the, a man whose mother has recently That's died. Daisy's trying Daisy, to Daisy, sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Daisy's trying to do that. Um, Although they all kind of are except Roxy. They're all kind of in on that scheme. Sure. But mm. I think she's sort of the main yeah. player there. But yeah, it, um, it was her death. She was, it was the one she picked up. She was. She went to and got the soul. Oh yes, of that it was woman. Daisy's. Yeah. yeah. So that was Daisy's one. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so there was that story, and it did involve um, George and Mason that one as well. Mm-hmm. And then Roxy, we just knew she was having an interesting day. Sort of, she was acting different to herself. Rube was very much in on that too. And it turns out that it was her, sort of, her coming to the twenty first anniversary, I think, of her own death. Yes. And so there was a little bit to explore there, but honestly, came mainly came out of one scene at the end of the episode. Yeah, which is disappointing. Which I think happens a lot actually in this show, <laughs> where there's a lot that. of like implied drama or implied significance, and then there's not enough build up, and we get this one scene that kind of works sometimes. Yeah. This happens a lot with the last family. So something I haven't mentioned yet is that the ongoing drama with George's family, her mother, Joy, her uh, father Clancy and her little sister Reggie is an ongoing part of the show. Mm. Probably majority of the episodes have them in it in some sense. Yes. Um, and often that that will sort of be in the background. It doesn't connect to our main plot very well. It's just sort of there. Maybe there's a slight mm. change in dynamic there. Well, but that's it- the thing. There's, there's so much going on <laughs> in this first season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you're dealing with a main character who is you know, having to deal with their own death, which is a big subject. It's such an and amazing idea. Yeah. Like the concept of someone dies, they have this experience where they're still a part of this world, but they're still dealing with the consequences mm-hmm. of their own death to some degree. Their life at least completely changes for them. Mm-hmm. It's a really interesting idea. I feel like it's got a lot of potential. Absolutely. And then, yeah, so you've got that. And then you have the world of the Grim Reapers mm-hmm. and the afterlife and all the mechanics all, that go with that. All the things around that. And it is a almost kind of a, not a monster of the week kind of thing, but every week you have a new death you have to deal with and have yep. a little adventure. So you've got that going on. And then, yeah, you're going back to a grieving family in between that. And then we're also going back to Buffy. You've got the Scoobies and then you, who are like the other Grim Reapers that yep. you want to get to know. Like there's so much to fit in in 14 episodes. And I think they touch on all of it, but feels very surfacey where we either don't hit those emotional notes mm-hmm. and we are told that we've that they've hit the emotional sure. notes through either voiceover or musical cues which I know you have something to say mm-hmm. about that but yeah it's it feels very surfacey it feels skimmed over and it this show doesn't really take a moment to really delve into any of those Okay. situations or scenarios so let's go there for a second mm-hmm. you mentioned the voiceover so mm. there's george has this narration i'm not going to say it's internal monologue because often she's talking about it's sometimes it feels like she's in the moment maybe mm-hmm. but often it feels like after the fact yes she is narrating this ongoing thing it's not like yeah more often than not i think it, actually probably all the time really it's her as a narrator over the top of what's going on she has knowledge in the 
in her narration that she wouldn't have in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, that's introduced in episode one. It's introduced. The very first scene is talking about the concept of where death even came from. There's some mythology there. And that continues to be a part of every single episode from then on. A, do you like narration in television in general? And B, in the instance of Dead Like Me, do you think it worked? I'm not opposed to narration. Uh, one of my favourite shows, Veronica Mars, has a bit of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that fits in with the tone of that show. It's kind of a take on film noir. Mm-hmm. So in that instance, it really works and I enjoy it. So I'm definitely not opposed to narration. Sure. I, I can see where it could work in Dead Like Me. But I feel as though it is so overused mm-hmm. and used as a crutch. Exactly the, the words that, I would have used. Yeah, we are told... What George is feeling, even though I can tell what she's feeling mm-hmm. by the action and I don't need to be told. And that can be really insulting as an audience. <laughs> I think you're 100% mm. right. I think So you would agree with that about the voiceover? 100%. I think it's used, as you say, as a crutch. I mm. think often it gets in the way. Definitely. It is. It gets used in moments where I'm like, I know you could have written that interaction, that this a revelation of information Mm -hmm. to me in a conversation with another character. Absolutely. There is no reason this had to come via narration. And often there's this like moment of this pause where she has like a reaction to a moment in some way. And it's some of the most obvious, lame, Mm -hmm. cliched jokes as well. I'm just like, I don't think we needed that. It just didn't need to be there. Yeah, I think it undercuts it. And it's it's the case of... Can you show me and not tell me? Exactly. Basic rule of writing and they just haven't... Seems like purposely gone the way of not doing that, of like shoving it in your face. No, I'm going to write everything down through narration of what you need to know or what I think you need to know. Do you know what I think is another part of the problem as well? Mm. And It's partly because all the narration is George's and George is a monotone character. I don't think that really helps that she is very... She's not particularly expressive. And so this monotone voice that's delivering all this information is just, just... I can't think of a more boring way to have done it. And it's really hard to have this surly teenager mm-hmm. tell you how much she dislikes the people around her or mm-hmm. the situations around her. It just feels like kind of a grumpy teenager who won't stop complaining. Mm-hmm. And that's not particularly interesting. Well, I'm going to run with that for a second. I didn't mm. really have this in our notes. But one of the things I think this that the show may have been trying to achieve, or I think it's there to some degree, and I kind of... I, I, I can see what it might have been trying to do, but I don't think it succeeded if it was trying to do it, yeah. was essentially show that, you know, this idea that George can have this life after her death and that these people would become her family of some sort. In the last scene of the last episode, um, what happens is they go to her... This is really skipping ahead in it chronologically, but we get to a point where they're at her gravestone. Um, She's... It's one year after her death. Her family have gone earlier and they finally put the gravestone in, which was mentioned at some stage quite early in the season that was coming. It's been a year, apparently, which is a long time, it seems. Where did they get shipped from? I don't know. Like Italian marble that they had to wait for. (laughs) And they, so they visit that. So George and Rube and the other Reapers go to visit it and they sort of have champagne. They're all bonding over it. And you get this feeling like, oh, this is her family now. This is very much a Buffy. This is the Scoobies. This is Scrubs or this is community or whatever it might be like that. Mm. Except we've spent most of this season 
with George telling us how much she doesn't like these people and how she's not <laughs> friends with them and she how, doesn't want to be there and they all yeah. hate each other mm-hmm. and there's I mean that happens in all these sorts of things there has to be conflict and tension between yes. the characters but there also has to be moments where we feel them connecting yeah. and there was some of it in the last few episodes. Yes. I felt they finally well, I, started to I get there. I was going to mention episode 10, the Roxy episode, really, when they're doing that little ruse sure. of trying to get the money. And they're and working I, together as a team. I couldn't help but thinking that this should have been episode three, yeah. four. So we could see them as a gang kind of working together, bonding, yep. having you know a, a laugh, a little adventure. And then that payoff at the, at the end works. Yep. It doesn't work in this instance because we haven't seen them as friends, as people who connect. Yeah, exactly right. I 100% agree. All right, I'll go back to our points, uh, sort of our list here. So we've talked a little about the narration, which is introduced in episode one. Mm-hmm. Something that I said to you, we sort of watched the first few episodes and I, as we do, we check in and just sort of see where we're at. And I mentioned there was one thing I was really keen to talk about. Yes. And that was the score. Mm-hmm. So the music that plays with yes. this, which I found out later... The Dead Like Me was actually nominated for a award for original score. I think it was an Emmy for its first really? season. Mm. Okay. Which I found really interesting because episode one in particular and the first half of the season in particular, I really found the music ridiculously distracting. <laughs> it was overbearing. It was under every single moment. Moments where I would look at it and go... This jazzy score, essentially, could be taken out of it. Just take it away. Give us uh, some quiet underneath the characters and this scene would be 10 times more effective. Yeah. Let the actors do what the actors are doing, what what, they, what they've done and let that shine. Mm. And this would be a million times more effective. And it killed me to have the music try and tell me at all times what the tone was and often feel like it was missing the point. Yeah, that's it, pretty amazing that, yeah, a score is, it feels wrong. Because, yeah, when we were talking about you had an issue yep. and I had no idea what you were talking about. I thought you were going to talk about the voiceover um, until just before when you told me it was the score and I hadn't noticed it. I generally don't notice scores in television or film. I don't know why. I, I'm just functioning at a low level, I guess. Sure. But I don't, but I don't notice those things. You don't Same notice with, them like, on a conscious level. On a conscious level, sure. yes. But... When you said that, I went back and went through episode one and you're right, it's in every moment and it has such a presence and sometimes that presence flies in the face of what I feel the scene is actually doing. Mm -hmm. And so throughout this, this season, I felt tonally the show was all over the place and I didn't quite understand what it was Mm -hmm. and then when you mentioned the music I was like oh yeah that's probably why is that my own experience of the show wasn't meshing with what was being shoved down my throat through the score and through voiceover and that kind of thing and I think the tone of the music, if it's anything, generally tends to lean towards lightness and humour, mm. which I think it sh- wants to be very quirky and funny, and you get that in the score. The score that is trying to support yes. that. Do you think the writing supports that? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, it is, I don't. You can feel it trying to be a comedy and failing at every turn. Yeah. I barely laughed at all in this show. I yeah, I only really laughed at Roxy. I. I think she's really funny yeah and that might just be the actress who i think is jasmine guy i think her name is sure um i believe I, you on that one okay i, I think that's right i, I, I hope like- that's right because i love what she did everything else wasn't it just wasn't funny sure. and 
I was shocked because I thought this was going to be really funny. And it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're just going back to this conversation we had before I asked you who your favourite characters were. Oh, yes. Sorry, what were you? <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. I don't we're, care We're all over think. the place here. I'm happy. It's a good conversation as it is. But the... So, my favourite characters were... Mm. Probably ended up being Rube. Sorry, Rube. Yeah. The Maddie Patinkett's player mm. character. Who... I... <laughs> Is reasonably well written, maybe. Although I, I keep wondering whether it was well written or whether he just gave it everything and I made. I think he gave it everything. Made lines work just through his performance, mm-hmm. and the same I feel about Dolores, who is George's immediate superior at her day job at Happy Time. Her basically her boss at her day job. Who oh, I bless re- Dolores really struggled with for a long time. They make her hard to watch. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But, and this is one of the things, I think actually one of the places the show succeeds is that George doesn't like her to begin with. Mm-hmm. And over time, she starts to understand her and build a connection with yeah. her. And I felt that because I was doing the same thing. And the actress who plays her, I'm going to find out who that is right now, mm-hmm. uh, Christine Wiles, or Will, I think it's Wiles, W-I-L-L-E-S, gives it everything. Yes, and yes. sometimes it's too much. Mm-hmm. But more often than not, it works because she's bloody committed. Yes. And she makes that character... Shine, mm-hmm. and she. Uh, those two are the are the characters I like the most. Yeah. It was sorry. It was interesting to see what happened with Dolores because mm. when it seemed to be going in the direction of Dolores and George mm-hmm. are gonna start some sort of friendship or at least some sort of understanding, I thought the reveal would have been Dolores comes across as this very controlling, kind of like your classic admin sure. type of person yep. who is kind of like in their own little little world, little hole in their little rut and they love it. Yep. They love it there. Um, and that's a reason for mocking. And so I thought the reveal would be that she isn't actually really like that and there's more to her when really the reveal was there isn't more to her and it's the way she is is totally okay and George and her can still find some sort of common ground, Yeah, okay. which I quite enjoyed. I think, I think I mean, the layers of her got revealed. We found out what her vulnerabilities were. We found mm. out she, she when she started getting funny to me was when we started just sort of finding her backstory. She started revealing her more sort of like well, she, naughty she had a signs. Coke She's got a Coke habit, 80s. which com, comes up two or three epi- in two or three episodes, which is quite <laughs> funny good. the way she yeah. talks about it. Yeah. Um, the way she sort of gets around swearing, but starts to like, mm. she obviously has this sort of sharp hard edge to her. Yeah. Even the bowl, I didn't like the bowling episode particularly well. Any oh, metaphors with bowling for some reason kill me, but that, <laughs> and a whole episode about that is just like, ugh, kill me. But Again, it showed her competitive side mm-hmm. and her, like, she wants to include George and obviously likes George. Yeah, she really does like George. And it's, I want to, I sort of on her side with that. Um, so those layers got revealed, but you're right. She ended up, even her home life yeah, is, she is workaholic. She is, and, yeah. yeah. My least favorite characters, I totally understand what you're saying about the actress who plays Daisy in terms of, was it Daisy or Roxy you were talking about before? Roxy. Oh, sorry. So, right. So my least favorite characters were Mason and Daisy. Mainly because yeah. I think they were about as one note as you can get. Mm-hmm. And if they're the writing lets the characters down and then the actors that are there just don't have enough out of them in them to bring out more. Yes. Um, Agreed. Though I will say that my favourite episode of the season probably ends up being the one we actually get to explore them as people for the first time. They stop just being one note jokes. 
Which episode is that? Episode 12, I believe it is. It is not episode 12. No, uh, no it's not. No, <laughs> you're right. It is isn't episode 12. It's episode 11. Yeah. I watched them. I accidentally watched one out of Sorry, order. Episode 12 is burned into my memory <laughs> in case anyone was wondering why I had that reaction. We'll, we'll get to that one. We will. Um, no, episode 11, The Bicycle Thief, which is an episode where George has been back working in Happy Time. It's her day job essentially around, yes. um, around reaping. her reaping. Mm-hmm. She leaves there because she's not earning enough money. She finds another job that she's going to earn more because she wants to buy a bike, essentially, because she doesn't like traveling on public transport. Um, so that's George's storyline. Mm-hmm. That's just an interesting sort of moment of her realizing that maybe if she, even if she doesn't love her job, there are I, worse yeah, jobs. I think that was one of the times where I really connected with George's story. Yeah. Because I think we've, I mean, I, I have, I've worked in an office space very similar to that in a very similar position mm-hmm. and you think it's really crap and you don't like it and you just kind of it's a job that you walk in you roll your eyes but you, you do the job you talk to people then you leave and you don't really think about it yeah and then when you have to leave that situation you realize how much you've connected with people sure. and the place yeah so i i yeah actually enjoyed that it was that storyline of george's it was interesting as well it occurred to me somewhere in the middle of the season that the show was very much just trying to be an office like mm. a workplace comedy yes and just <laughs> not working in that sense though mm. but that's a different story um in that episode as well, Daisy is going to reap this painter and she realises there's an opportunity to make money. Mm-hmm. She's always looking for a scam, essentially, um, and is going to take his painting and then try and sell it later. And she builds a connection with this uh, painter, the soul of this painter, before he leaves. He convinces her, essentially, Does, to keep it. Do they build a connection? They uh, Essentially, they're suggesting they do, that's, though. They're, yeah, that's they're the thing. Showing, they suggest that that's what's happening. I saw for the first time in some of these characters, in Daisy, a little bit of, like... A moral center, maybe. I mm. I saw her, even if it wasn't in the script, the actor had a chance to just sort of show a little bit of humanity, which was good. And at the same time, this is also the episode where Mason goes to take the souls of two people, a gay couple, which started off rough, oh, i got to say. When I was watching that, I was like, no. Yeah. This is really insulting. And even if this ends up with him, like, learning a lesson about gay people. Yeah. That is not gay people's responsibility to take his, like, microaggressions. I was sure. not happy with that. Sure. And I... I, I Listen, I'm not going to fault you on that. I think that's 100% fair. And mm. I was really against it at first. Yeah. I was happy... It was really jarring. I'm like, I can't believe they're doing this. This feels like something from, like, 1993. Whether whether it worked or not, I see that what they were trying to do yes. because then Mason does sort of come around mm-hmm. and they were... Try- I mean, this is 2003 as well. I think at that stage, had we just had the first gay kiss on television with Willow and and um, what's her name? Emma Benson's character? Tara. Tara. What is wrong with you? Yeah, I just couldn't remember all of a sudden. Jeez, <laughs> you're having a stroke. <laughs> oh, my God. With Willow and Tara. So, I, don't, yeah. I think gay representation on television might have been mm. sort of still... When was the growing. Dawson's Creek one? Because that was the first male. Oh, jeez, I got no... I don't even remember. Season... When, what season was that? I think it was season... Three? Who was or season four? We're getting way off topic, but so, who? I don't remember. That was Jack, and he went to a school dance. It must be season three, I think. He went to a school dance with his first boyfriend. Oh, maybe you might be right. And they refused to like acknowledge they were together, and then uh, they like ran to the train station, been... and they had the first gay male kiss. Way on... over a decade since I watched that show. I don't network remember. or cable. I can't remember. But anyway, so yeah. but we let's. That sort of stuff was talking about. But around the same time, yeah, yeah. So they were, I think the writers were trying to make a statement, sort of present a story mm. where he's forcing passion for that. And even if you just take that bit out, the story ended up being a good one about the... Mason came across as a human. He mm-hmm. had this really... One of the, the couple 
falls over and smashes his head against the counter and dies, mm-hmm. which is what he's there to do. He's meant to take the deaths of people who have died accidentally. Yes. And then is we find out, and I think this is breaking the rules of the show, which is a bit weird, take the soul of the second one because he's going to commit suicide. Yes. And there's this moral dilemma about whether he should try and... Pre- the, the soul of the first guy mm. is trying to say, don't let him do what he's going to do. I yes. know he's going to try and take his own life. Please don't let him. And then we come to this realisation that this person's going to be miserable without it. He wants to do it and he mm-hmm. lets him do it. Which I think is... There's a big debate about whether that's the morally right thing to be saying in the, in the story. But yeah. at least it had... The show had a position mm-hmm. on an interesting subject about death, which was good. Yes. And Mason actually had an interesting introspective moral moment, which I had not seen from that character at all. At that stage, he had only been really English mm-hmm. and into drugs and women. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, this is good. I'm yeah. finally starting to really see a character here, which mm. was nice, and see him change and grow a little I, bit. I, yeah, I did enjoy seeing that side of Mason. I wish some of that stuff was seen earlier when George is going through her own thing. Totally. And not that they would like George and Mason would connect on that level or have any sort of conversation about it, but just to know that like all of, all of the reapers have their own moral dilemmas and maybe they can't talk about it because it's a little too complicated to talk about. Sure. But just to see those things in parallel. Do you mean when you say early, do you mean in the episode? No, in the season. In the season. Yes. Because I think both things are probably true. I think there's a lot of stuff that feels like it should have happened earlier. Yeah. There are moments with the Lass family when they're mm-hmm. dealing with George, which feels like they sort of get over it and then they come back to being upset. And I'm like, we should have had some of these moments earlier. This took a long time to get to this moment of connection mm-hmm. or whatever yeah. it might be, of grief. Um, and then in episodes as well, I feel like sometimes it was just so clumsily put together. One of the things I really want to talk about is just the B stories and C stories in general are either really shallow or really clumsy. Mm-hmm. And the best television shows, I think, are the ones that can have their A stories, their B stories, and their C stories all work on a common theme in some mm-hmm. way, all reflect or talk about the same thing from perspective. A show that has narration that I think does that well is something like uh, Scrubs, which is a 20-minute sitcom, mm-hmm. which often has been a C story, mm-hmm. that the narration JD will tie them all together into some nice thematic package and make it work, and this show just doesn't, it doesn't do, it. do it. It's not sophisticated enough. It's too clumsy to make that work on a writing level, on a, on a structure level. And that really frustrated me, because you can see the biggest complaint I have, or the biggest frustration for me, is there's so much potential in this idea, yeah. and they tried to have they, like, try to do so much, and it by doing too much... They don't do enough. I mean, it feels like almost a draft in which all the mm-hmm. stuff is there. It just needs tightening and it needs work. And so, yeah, it feels very draft-like. Well, let's walk ahead a little bit then. We'll go back to our chronological order. There's a few episodes, a lot of episodes after episode one, which is really George dealing with the reality of becoming a reaper, mm-hmm. what that means, trying to get her head around what her job is, what she's being asked to do, and how maybe to get around that a little bit. Um, which it was pretty repetitive, but oh, I sort God, of... it was annoying. It was, yeah, mm. and it was... Particularly was, coming from a character like that. Sure. Yeah, it was annoying. But at least it was like it was exploring the mythology and the idea which was there. And then we get to episode five. And one of the things I don't think mm. I've mentioned properly here is that in the first five episodes, we didn't have Daisy. We had another character, Betty. Yes, very similar character. Quite a similar character. Mm-hmm. They're both sort of, um, they're both 
pretty attractive younger women. Yeah. They seemingly from the same time period as well. Very similar but, time period. Yeah, periods. something to know about the Reapers is some were died in the eighties, some died in the sixties, I think Mason died yep. in. I believe Betty and Daisy both, both were the thirties, I'm pretty sure. Oh no, so yeah. I think Betty died in 1926. Okay, so, and then yeah, Daisy with the 30s. After. I think we see later it's like 36 or 37 or something yes. like that, Daisy. Um, we don't know where Rube's from, I think, at this stage. He's, his back story is he, he, he was he there. Talk, he talked about his first car that he had when he was alive, which was more of a cut and buggy situation. It was a car, but it was one of the first cars. Gotcha. So he's quite old. And he was definitely dead by the time that Betty died in the 1920s yes. because he was there when she yeah. to help her become a Reaper. So we knew that much. Um but this Betty character mm. is all of a sudden at the end. Oh, in Shockingly. An episode, in yeah. an episode where it was one of the first episodes where the side characters were starting to get a little bit of attention and mm-hmm. growth. We thought it was a very good episode of her. We're learning a lot about her. George yes. was building a connection with her. I thought this is the beginning of a friendship. I'm not saying the friendship yet, but yep. it's the beginnings of it. There's yes. something to build on here. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is she goes to is it her, either her or George. I think it's Betty. Goes to reap the soul of this older gentleman. That's right. Yes. He's, I he's think at the he's, bar. He's at the bar. The and Irish he, gentleman. That's right. And he has a swordfish that's hanging on the wall. Um, kills him. Actually, one of the... It's so interesting. These are horrific deaths that no one it's, reacts to with horror. It's quite... Yeah, he's at his birthday party. Yeah. He's, he's an Irish gentleman at an Irish pub. And so he gets up on the bar and starts doing a jig. And all his friends and family are there clapping and watching him. And then, yes, a swordfish that is hanging from the roof mm-hmm. gets, swings away and I bl- stabs him somewhere. Stabs him, sh- kills him. Kills we don't him. see it. Another interesting thing about this show, just to take a sidetrack for a second because there's so much to talk about here. It's a show that, like, it wants to be... It, it swears every episode. They want to use oh, their in fucks. In a way that they feels uncomfortable, be, right? Often just Ooh. feels forced. Doesn't feel mm-hmm. natural. Not at all. The characters are often talking about sex. They use... All those sorts of things. I mean, that's Mason's thing. To, um, uh, uh, Daisy's often talking about blowing every celebrity from the 30s you can think of. Yes. And then... She's a golden age of cinema whore, yeah, I believe. Basically, exactly what she is. And then they don't show gore, really, at all. They no, never they show anything horrific. They don't ever try to make things shocking in that regard. Mm-hmm. They never go there in really with sex. There's one sex scene I can think of mm. towards the end of the season. And it's like, it sort of wants to be edgy, but it never has teeth. That's the thing. It's like this meant to be, well, it's positing itself as this, like this quirky, cute comedy um, with a bit of darkness, but you, yeah, you don't see gore or anything. Or, but uh, then they're telling you to go fuck off every two seconds. It's really weird. It's a very it's like, strange like, time. So Deschanel came up to you in a cute little dress and big eyes. I was like, you're a real piece of shit, bro. <laughs> like, it just, it would be shocking. It's <laughs> actually exactly what it is. It's, yeah. and it's so strange. Anyway, so these people react with just like, like surprise. I think a hand over a yeah, mouth, like, maybe. Oh no, he's dead. Oh no. When everyone would be screaming. It would be like, horrific. <laughs> it would be mass panic. This they man are stabbed. all going to have PTSD <laughs> from seeing a man being stabbed by a swordfish. Yes. Oh boy. And we can just talk about there about how the show is trying to have this like serious look at a family dealing with the daughter, the death of their 18 year old sibling slash daughter. Mm. And death is something that's made to be funny at all times yeah. and not taken seriously. How can you have both those tones in the show anyway? I'm getting off track. <laughs> this man dies. He goes to jump off the cliffs of Dover. This is the way he sees his entrance into the afterlife. Yeah. When someone dies, they sort of see this idyllic version of entrance way into the afterlife, whatever that might be afterwards. Mm-hmm. They all have this different vision. And his is 
jumping off the cliffs of Dover and Betty decides that she's going to do it too. Yes. She's wants to find out what's in the afterlife. Which in episode one, Rube tells George, because George has a similar idea of like going into the light mm-hmm. as well. And But Rube stops her and says, no, we can't go where they go. Exactly. And so Because Betty- they're not dead. They're the undead, the e- Reapers. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They explain as being undead. Um, they And Betty does. She jumps off the cliff mm-hmm. and disappears pretty similarly to the way that a normal human dead person's soul would. Yeah. There's a bit of sort of a shake. The, the, the other Reapers feel it. They mm-hmm. feel that something bad's happened. Um, and Rube goes, he doesn't know where she is or if she's ever coming back, mm. basically. And that was, oh, I thought that was really interesting. I think it's a really interesting mythological yeah, piece. My first thought was like, oh, like what's the payoff going to be? Like exactly. where's the story going to go with that? Yeah. And nothing, nothing. happens. <laughs> because... Yes, what we find out, and this is where I started doing a bit of research. So I'm like, when is Betty coming back? Yeah. They kind of, I don't know if you're watching the same versions I was, but they had these um, previously on. Yes. And so there was a couple at least that showed the Betty leaving thing. I'm like, they're building to something mm-hmm. here. They're building. She's going to come back changed in like two or three episodes. Yes. And it never happened. And it turns out mm. that what happened was <laughs> while Brian Fuller created the idea for the show, it's his concept, mm-hmm. he left... The show yes. after episode four. Episode five is the episode where Betty jumps into the afterlife essentially mm-hmm. and leaves. What do you know about how this all went down? Um, well, I know Brian Fuller and the network had very different ideas of what the show was going to be. Mm-hmm. So there was always some tension there um, and negotiations. Lots of battling I heard behind the scenes. And then the actress who played Betty was, I don't believe, it was a trial, I think? Apparently, from what I understand, she was involved in a manslaughter case. It was a hit and run. A hit and run, was it? Of a small boy. I knew it was motor vehicle and it involved, I didn't realize she ran. It wasn't hit and run, sorry, that's right. It was was vehicular manslaughter is what it was. Sorry. Um, Very different in terms of like... Yes, sorry, that was, yeah, intent. (laughs) Intent, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yes. Um, So... So that was, I believe, I don't. I think the investigation was over, and she was. I think the trial she was, was at starting. Trial, I believe, yes, because yes. so it was happened a couple like of years after. Yeah. She. Did, I don't think she received any jail time. I don't. I don't think it even really matters. I think from what yeah. I understand is the studio was unhappy with. They her were uncomfortable, possibly for a couple of reasons. One being mm. that this is an actress playing a reaper, yes, someone who's dealing with dead people, and she's been involved in a motor vehicle acts, a motor vehicle manslaughter, yeah, vehicular manslaughter. And that might be a bit weird. Yes. And as someone who's sort of making a television show of my own or web series of my own, I've yeah. had problems with actors and their sort of off-screen stuff. Mm. I can sort of see what they're going for there while they might have a problem with that. I can understand that, yes. I can see from a studio perspective what they were going for. I've also heard potentially they just didn't think she was attractive enough. Apparently yeah. might be a part of it too. But either way, Brian... I don't know if I buy that because she's I beautiful. I agree. I, I don't think I buy that at all. I think it was probably... Um, the way it looked. It looked bad. Sure. Or, it, or they probably read it as people could think that it looks really bad. They were looking at marketing. They were looking yeah. at their image and thought they didn't want to continue with her. Brian I mean, thought, I think... Sorry, I think it's unfortunate for the actress, but I, I don't think it's unreasonable sure. to feel that way. But whatever reason, Brian Fuller was extremely attached to her, it seems yes. like, because he... That was one of the few th- a few things going on, but he's like, that's it, I'm done. I'm I think, yeah, the that show. was the straw that broke the camel's back. So the reason we come to this is because you were sort of talking about that you feel like something should have happened earlier in the season. Mm-hmm. We have this weird thing where then in episode six, Daisy shows up, who's yes. just the replacement, essentially, character for Betty and has a very similar type of character. 
Um, what do you do? You feel like the show suffered because Brian Fuller left? No, I don't. I think I. I think it got better. You think it got better once he left? Yes, I do. Ooh, I, hot which, take. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Which is, I mean, I, I. It's hard to judge because you don't know where he would have taken it. Absolutely. So it is really hard to judge. But those first few episodes, yeah, they were tonally weird and mm-hmm. scattered and nothing went where I wanted it to go just purely for some sort of satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the latter half of the season, I, there was some payoff and there was some emotional notes that were hit, particularly with the last family which was good. Yep. I felt that in those early episodes that he was involved in, the family felt really cold. Yes. I, 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 I you, mean, their Joy, daughter I have died. a really hard time connecting with Joy mm. and Clancy. That's the mother and the father mm. of George at all. Okay. So really I, I had that problem at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Towards the end, when I saw a, a bond forming between the mother, Joy, and the the remaining daughter, Reggie, mm-hmm. I saw them and I saw how the parents' relationship affected Reggie. I was able to connect, I think, with Joy sure, a little sure. bit. Um, yeah, I could feel compassion for her and why she was perhaps um, cold or a little bit judgmental towards her child and in the past children. Yeah. Mm. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Yeah, for me, I'm, I'm similar. I don't know whether I think the show got better. I think it stayed about the same for mm. me. I don't think it ever really reached the heights that I expected a show that was so highly recommended to reach. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. Yeah, and maybe in the first, in the last couple of mm. episodes in particular, there was stuff that was starting to work for me mm. a bit more. But I, my curiosity is, yeah, I agree with you, the tone of the show in those first four episodes is really all over the place. Mm-hmm. And episode five, actually, because of the stuff that gets done with Betty before they get rid of her, is quite strong. Mm. But I, I, I kind of wondered whether he was building to something. I think he maybe think had a clearer was. picture of what the show was, at well, least. Well, what I, I read was that he left after episode five. So it was after the Betty thing. Oh, And okay. that he was actually going to bring her back in, in season two. This isn't spoilers because that's not. What happens? Situation. Yeah. Betty doesn't come back. Yeah. She was. That's meant a to... spoiler, but that's I knew that too. But yeah, that's so she 
yeah, she was meant to come back in season two mm-hmm. from the afterlife. And what was meant to happen was that she had seen some stuff on the other side mm-hmm. and her and George were going to go off on some sort of mission to kind of like oh. break down the wall to get there. Sure. And that was, so they were going to have some sort of situation there. Okay. So I think he had like a grand scheme of what was going to happen. And I don't know whether those early episodes felt so off because there was so much friction with the network and he couldn't act, maybe do what he really wanted Possibly, to do. Yeah. On that, that see to me, I wonder if that explains like the tone of the music and stuff like that. Mm. I wonder whether he had this idea of a much more, slightly more sarcastic, slightly darker mm. show that was a bit, had a bit more soul or a bit more pathos to it, mm-hmm. pathos to it. And then they're forced it like, we need this to be a comedy and force this soundtrack on him. This is all speculation yeah. that totally stuffs with the tone and gets in the way of maybe there's a better show in there and I'm just not seeing it. But I still think the writing was weak. It was weak. I would agree with that. So I don't know. Yeah. Whether it affected for the better or worse, I'm not sure though. Mm. Uh, yeah. It'll be interesting when we watch some other Brian Fuller stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I know Pushing Daisies is on our list mm-hmm. and that's widely regarded as being a really good show. And I watched the trailer for that today. Yep. And yeah, it's got that same quirky sense of fun, I guess, in Yeah. Do you I wondered today, trying to really wrap my head around my feelings for the show, I was talking about this with my girlfriend and just sort of using her as a bouncing ball. All right, bro, we get it, you've got a girlfriend. <laughs> Thank you. So do you. <laughs> That's true. And the uh, Someone loves me. And like just trying to sort of figure out my feelings a bit. I wondered whether some of this might be a something the show about the show dating as well. Have we got to a place now? Have we been spoiled so much with television now mm. that we maybe don't look back on these shows that are a little bit older? I mean, it's only, you know, just over a decade yeah. old, but maybe we accepted and maybe one of the reasons that people still hold on to this is because they have fonder memories of it because at the time it was really good. I, th- I think so because when I was watching a few of the episodes with our other housemate, yeah. I was talking to her about how I was feeling all over the place about it Mm. and how I was genuinely confused because people love this show so much. It's kind of like Firefly in that sense where people just have such a love for it. Yeah, people really, really enjoy this show. And so I was just shocked that I wasn't enjoying it. Yeah. And yeah, she brought up the point that maybe, you know, in 2003... This was something genuinely different. Yes. Like, and like the concept is. I can see totally how the concept is. would and have been really appealing. The character the of George is really different from. I went and looked at like the top shows of 2003, and yeah, they your CSIs and your American Idols and, mm-hmm. and Law and Orders and that kind of sure, thing. So. And it's so, yeah, this would have been, it would have been really quirky and maybe funny. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure. But <laughs> I'm not sure about that one. But, but it would have been really different and people would have been like, wow, I haven't seen this before. Because mm-hmm. um, I was watching it and I was like, oh, it kind of feels like it, it could have the same flow maybe as Veronica Mars, that kind of like like really dry sense of humor. Um, it, it doesn't. I think Veronica Mars actually came out the year after. Mm-hmm. So it's not... So looking back, I'd be like, well, Veronica Mars is a superior show. But if you don't have that, and maybe I think Buffy was coming to a close. Buffy, I think, was at season five at this stage. Season right. five or season six. So, yeah, it's, getting, it's in its So Buffy years. is in its really depressing <laughs> stages yeah, or yeah. getting there. Um, yeah, so this might have 
been something really amazing to kind of like, whoa, I've never seen anything like this before. But yeah, I think we are spoiled. I think we look back and like, oh, it's just, it's not that good. I've seen better. Yeah. Um, are there anything in particular... We've we've gone off track. We're not really talking about the ongoing plot anymore, but I don't think we need to because I think if you look at the overall arc of the season, what do we have? We've got George. She comes more comfortable with being a reaper, I guess. She's mm. early on. She's trying to sort of break the rules yeah. of that, but really the ongoing plot is she's trying to balance her reaper life um, with her ongoing day job life because one of the things we know about them is the reapers don't get paid. It's their obligation to do these things. It's so bas- that is just so... It seems like a terrible system. Well, let's... Okay, let's talk about <laughs> mythology for a second then because I think there's a lot... There's some yeah. interesting rules to this show which sometimes I think don't work. Mm. Maybe work in the sense of we need to keep a kink in this so that these characters have something to fight against or to yeah. deal with on a daily basis but seem bizarre and silly mm. and... I don't know. It's it just doesn't work for some reason. Well, well what are those things for you that so feel... let's let's see. Number one, I, I'm okay with the system that Rube gets. So what happens is Rube, who's the leader of this group of reapers, he gets a list that goes under his door seemingly every day or every night that tells him the names, the place of death, and the estimated time of death of all these different people whose souls need to be reaped, mm-hmm. and he then gives those that list to his reapers on post-it notes, and they go and do them essentially. Mm-hmm. Number one, the post-it notes. Why on earth do we need to have... Do we only get the first and second initial and the last name of these people? Which just adds an element of complexity to figuring mm-hmm. out who these people are. That That's is the thing. Like, they have to take the time to figure out who in... like could be a crowd of like thousands yeah. who is going to die. How do, you, like, how do you do that logistically? It just seemed really silly. And I understand on the like from the sense of trying to create these funny situations, mm. theoretically, that yeah. this would help it, you know, yeah. misidentity and trying to figure it adds a mystery and a little yeah. sort of quirk to every reap, yeah. but... And they, they try to justify it in the show, in which I think it's Mason that says, oh, we it, the little we know is it's better for us because otherwise, you know, then we have moral dilemmas. So if we don't know a lot about these people, then that's fine. But I don't see why... Why is it just the first? Why can't we get a first and a last name? Why can't exactly. we get a last name? And I just—it's such a silly little thing that it kind of mm. gets in the way of me enjoying the show. And I know that's a dumb thing to complain about. It's, but it really I frustrates. I think, me. yeah, I don't think that's a dumb thing because it's a big part of the show—is the fact that they don't know the names of these people. They don't know who they are. Like that's like an aspect of every episode is them yeah. trying to figure it out or playing a game of trying to figure it out or whatever yeah. it might be. So I don't think that's a a dumb thing to be <laughs> annoyed by. I think it's very valid. Number two, mythological wise, the idea is that this group of reapers is supposed to take the death, take the souls of people who died due to external external circumstances. Mm-hmm. Except when Mason takes the soul of somebody who commits suicide, and it's like that doesn't make sense. That's not an external circumstance. He decided on his own to kill himself. Mm. He should not be there. There should be a different reaper there to take that person. That That's happens true. in actually I just. <laughs> broke its rule and didn't comment on it in any way. Yeah. There was a way to explain it. You know, Rube has a thing at the end. It's like, yeah, I know that's not yours. I got that from the other guy because I just sort of thought it'd be easier. I didn't yeah. want... You could even oh. have a funny moment like when you, you know, watch those cop procedurals or whatever and they're fighting over who was jurisdiction. Like, you'd have like a little sure. moment like that. But yeah. it doesn't it happen. Doesn't. It's, yeah. And it's just like, it's just another thing that makes you go, uh, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And then you have the Betty thing, which we talked about, where we're told they can't go where they're going until and someone does. does. Yes. And then... To uh, have no consequence to that makes no sense. No consequence mm-hmm. or not have George 
Like George at this point is kind of fed up with the whole thing. Why doesn't she do that the next time? She mm-hmm. doesn't even think about it. There yeah. should be an episode where she thinks about jumping through and then yeah. for whatever reason decides she's not done here yet, whether it's got to do with her family or mm-hmm. whatever, but decides she doesn't want to go to the afterlife and doesn't want to find out. But that never gets addressed and that just sort of drops the ball on that one. Mm. Um, I'm just honestly, explain to me exactly what the job of a reaper is. What is we understand this are these little gremlin type things called gravelings. They cause accidents. Set, set up the accidents and they're the ones who sort of actually commit the deaths. Mm-hmm. So the Reaper's job is essentially all they do is touch a person mm-hmm. which detaches their soul. Yes. That's all it is. So their yeah, their job is to harvest the soul before the the death occurs. Sure. Um because for some reason, otherwise, just say you're a person, half your head gets ripped off yep. and your soul hasn't been detached, then you'll go into the afterlife with half a head, I believe, is one of the consequences. That is actually, that's true. You've just reminded me, that is actually a good consequence. The idea that the affliction of your death will follow you into the afterlife, yes. which is interesting, actually, is a massive consequence. It's a big one. And the other one was, I think, that the person ends up stuck in the body of... Uh, the dead, the dead body potentially. So, I which think is episode, traumatizing for the soul. Which is traumatizing. For the they soul. have awareness, but mm-hmm. and they, I think they they know that they're dead. They know they're dead. They can't feel pain, but it's psychologically traumatizing. Yes. Is what Rube says. Mm-hmm. The whole the system there though is so strange. When you've got these little goblin creatures, which is, we assume aren't human or were never human, mm-hmm. there's no reason to believe that they are or ever were. Yes are doing these things, why do we need ex-humans to be the ones that detach the souls? Why is this not... Why is death such a complicated, dumb system? Why is it... Yeah. And the answer is, it's there to create comedy (laughs) and create drama, although I'm not sure it really does a good job of succeeding at any of those things. Yeah. They talk about how death or reaping is just it's a job like any other Mm -hmm. so there's no difference between the tasks involved or the processes involved in reaping as you know any office job or whatever it might be and so because of that rube can kind of find a way to be like oh that's just the way it is yeah it's just how it is yeah i don't know that's just the system yeah which isn't satisfying and you always Want to know more and you wonder if Rube does know more or if he's just, um, yeah, kind of making up excuses so he doesn't have to explain things. It might be complicated or hard. But, yeah, it's overly complicated. It's silly but not in a fun way. I, think that, I guess that's what it is. It comes mm. down to being like it, it. it's silly and obtuse and it doesn't really make the most of that. Like you said, if there was more like talking with other divisions and they're being competitive or more office element type stuff yes. like that or like if it was genuinely like a workplace comedy about reapers i can see that being really good if it focused on that properly mm-hmm. but it tries to be that mm-hmm. plus ongoing adventures and capers of particularly mason and and daisy, daisy. Mm-hmm. plus the family drama of what happened mm-hmm. what's happening back at the last house <sighs> And then you've even got the office drama of her at Happy Time, of George at Happy Time, her yes. day job, where she's... And it's like, there's so many shows here. <laughs> we kind of just need to focus on one or two of these. Absolutely. Um, was there anything about the mythology that confused you or you did or didn't I mean, like? I agree with everything you've brought up. Okay. One moment, I think it was in the last episode, I was like, oh, why did you guys do that? That's stupid, is when 
Dolores, her cat is sick. Yes. And they, George and Dolores go to the vet and they're waiting in the waiting room and there's this little boy who is, George realised, is also a reaper. Mm -hmm. He's got his own post-it note and that kind of thing. And he is a reaper of animals. Yeah. (laughs) Which... Is ridiculous. Well, see, I see. This is actually a disagree with you there. What? That that to me is actually what we were talking about should have been happening. We should have been finding out more and more about oh, the about com- building the world exactly of right. the reapers. Like, okay, so now we've got there's we know okay animals have souls, which is a pretty big deal. But like, <laughs> it just seemed logistically, I felt that was really stupid. I I, I like the idea that, but that like, it just seemed like another, another element on top of fifteen other elements that don't work already. And I was just like, can you guys just stop until you've worked out what you've already done? It, it should like if the show was more focused on the reaping as an as a job and they introduced that if as like an If there was like an, an animal of division that. of that workplace show we're talking about, yes, sure, sure, totally on board. Okay, gotcha. But that's not the show. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, why is there another thing that like I have to wonder about that isn't really explained? Yeah, yep, yeah. sure. Uh, I think, was there anything else ongoing that you really want to discuss before we get to sort of our closing uh, topics? Was mm. there anything you really want to talk about? Uh, yes. So when I was... We've, I suppose we've spoken about this a little bit um, in those first few episodes being really hard to kind of get a hold of. Sure. How, how did how did you go in your transition into Dead Like Me? As in? Did it take you like a long time? Was it easy for you to like kind of grasp what it was, its tone, that kind of thing? The, what happened was I was waiting for the show to, to find that episode that really hit me. Yes. The show that like, bold statement, this is what the show is going to be. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it just never got there. I was waiting and thinking to myself, there's definitely a good concept here. Mm-hmm. This has been recommended by a lot of... Well, uh, highly recommended by at least uh, one or two people. This is going to at some stage turn and make me go, I yeah. got it. This makes, this makes sense. Waiting for the moment. Mm-hmm. And it honestly never came and it just got more and more frustrating. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I was... It's like I'm two episodes into this podcast and I'm not loving Breaking Bad after season one. <laughs> And everyone's recommended that as an amazing yeah. show. And I'm watching this show, which has also been highly recommended. And going, do I just not, am I just, do I just hate television? Well, like, I've started, I've started to wonder that, am I, am I just disliking these shows because I'm forcing myself to watch them? Is that what's happening? And, yeah. I don't think that's what's happening, but it did occur to me. It was like, oh no, maybe I'm ruining shows by doing this. Well, the thing mm. is, I've watched, because I thought the same thing. It's like, I'm forcing myself to watch them in a week. Mm-hmm. This is the format we've chosen for this show. <laughs> maybe this is just a bad idea. I'm second <laughs> guessing. Maybe we're this. idiots. This is the dumbest thing ever. And after episode three, we're just going to go, fuck it, we're not doing this yeah. anymore. <laughs> no, the, but except, I know I've binged lots of shows in the past. Mm-hmm. I've binged Futurama. I've binged How Much Your Mother. I've binged uh, Parks and Rec. There are lots of shows that I've binged and loved and kept enjoying as I watched them. Yes. Because the show, I wanted to watch the next episode every yeah. single well, the time. Thing, I mean, that is how I consume television now. I spend right. most of my life binge watching TV. Mm-hmm. It's practically my job, hence why we did this podcast. But yeah, so that that is how I consume TV. So I don't think that's the problem. Yeah. I just think it's the shows that we've chosen so far <laughs> so far i'm yeah. really i'm 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 expecting them to turn around on breaking bad at least oh i'm looking forward to watching the next season of breaking bad especially cause... honestly after this show i'm really looking forward to <laughs> watching episode two of breaking bad i didn't think i would come back so quickly but yeah and no, i'm i'm looking forward to it i'm looking back and then going 
for all the things they sort of had a problem with, mm. there's some real, yeah. like, good TV. I'm looking back on that, first, on that, that first episode that we did at Breaking Bad. I'm like, wow, what a bunch of ungrateful assholes we were. <laughs> kind of, in a way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wonder if our listeners feel the same way. They probably, <laughs> probably. do. Yeah. So, no, I ne- honestly, I never got into it. I got... Mm. There were times when I, I definitely enjoyed moments yes. or maybe enjoyed parts or significant parts of an episode here or there, mm-hmm. particularly more towards the end of the season. Mm-hmm. There's one episode where I want to punch the television in the face. Oh, can we talk about that? Uh, let's talk about that because we do have the least favorite and favorite episodes. Yes, we'll go right. into it then because I think it's both our least favorite episode mm. and we can just talk about <laughs> how bad that was then. But no, bottom line, I never did get into it. Yes. You? No, not in the sense that I usually get into a yeah. show. I maybe episode thirteen or fourteen. I was like, so oh. it was really that late in the show. Yeah, then that's thing, which is it's too late at that stage. If I'm not into it by episode three or four, mm-hmm. that's a really bad sign. And if I am not into it until episode thirteen, that's really bad. Yeah, I think so too. I, I listen. I think sometimes a show can even take five or six episodes. And I've said that I didn't even like the first season of Parks and Rec particularly. And that's only six episodes, but it took mm. me a long time to get that show. Some of my favorite shows, Community took five or six episodes to really true, go. Yeah. I, I know, I understand this show and mm-hmm. I, I'm on board with, I'm on its level and I get it. Yes. But 13, the end of the first season, of a third and, episode yeah, season, or fourth episode season is a long time. Parks and Rec and Community and that kind of thing is, even if you didn't love it, you understood it as a show. It, they're also 20 minutes long. Yes. They're not 44 minutes episode long per season, per episode. It felt very long, didn't it? And it just, it just, it wore me down a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, what, just to be clear, episode 13 and 14, what was it about those ones that you sort of felt like you were starting to get it? Uh, if you were going to get it I, at all. If I'm remembering correctly, yeah, it would have been um, some of the last, the family stuff. Mm-hmm. So what was happening and in those last couple of episodes? So the in 13, I think it was the last, yeah, the last family go on their family vacation. Sure. And you see the dynamic between the mum and dad really clearly. Because mm-hmm. before that, you kind of assumed the mum was just kind of an asshole. She's just kind of a bitch. I, uh, let's talk about that for a second. Mm. Joy in general. Mm. I know she's made to be like... The, the idea is she has friction with uh, with George at the yes. beginning. And there's obviously meant to be some regret and stuff there. Mm-hmm. But fucking hell. I had a hard time ever caring about her. Yeah. She's just always hostile. Always... Mm always bitter at every moment and I understand that that's going to happen with grief to a degree yeah. but it, I'm the same as you episode 13 and she's starting to connect with Reggie I was like this should have happened mm. episode 5 or 6 this should have been I should have been yeah. caring about her now I think there are moments in past episodes that you you kind of see a softness and also a reason for her current hardness mm-hmm. in which I think it's I can't remember what episode it is, but um, the daughter, Reggie, it wants to try new things mm-hmm. um, because George is sending her messages from beyond. Um, and so she, you know, goes and rides a horse and wants a drum kit and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And her mum is facilitating that. Yep. But Reggie has just completely shut her out. And you see that in the past that George did exactly the same thing. To Reggie, That she's yeah. kind of... Or to, or to George Joy. did that to Joy, yep. her mother. Um, and you kind of, she, this woman, her husband does it to her as well, is just constantly pushed out of her own life. Yeah. And I think that is because she's a little bit hard, but doing that, like she has completely shut down her vulnerability. Yep. 
So I was actually fascinated by Joy. I wanted to know more about her. I'm not sure if that's the writing or if it's the actress. I, I, think, I think it's the actress. I think it might be the actress too. Yes. I feel like there was sometimes... I think she did a I was, great job. I saw she did a great job. Yes. Oh, that she was getting it right and the writing was letting her down? Yes. I, sometimes I thought it was the opposite. Really? So I, I, I think you're. I think the, the writing is often the biggest problem of this mm. show. But sometimes I thought there were lines there that was like, if you delivered that slightly differently, slightly mm. less bitter, or slight in a way that was just a little bit more complex and mm. I was able to read it differently, okay. I would, I could feel, you could still be cold, but also I could feel your vulnerability mm. as an audience member. Right, okay. Because it needs to, there's a difference between how the characters in the show perceive her and how the audience is yes. going to perceive her. And when a character leaves the scene, you can have that person break a little bit. Have and a moment, s- yeah. Exactly. So if, you're, if, like, if the idea is that she's put up a wall to protect herself or whatever it might be because mm. she's grieving, do that around the characters. When the character leaves, the actor, I should be able to see as an audience member that that character is vulnerable still. Yeah. That it is a wall. That that's not the actual right. her. Did, but did that you, didn't happen. But you didn't see that in moments where, you know, Reggie tells her to get out and stuff or when Sometimes, George but- is learning to ride a bike and then says that she's... Now that she knows how to ride a bike, she's never coming back and that kind of thing. Sometimes... Or just didn't get there for you. Well, one of the things I think what they started to do, and I wonder whether this is because the, even the writers felt like the actress wasn't doing a great job, is they started to show flashbacks and just actively show us that she was once soft. Right, okay. And the flashbacks were reason I think they were ham-fisted, but they were effective in doing that. I got to see a side of joy mm. that was motherly, that was joyful yeah. in a sense. And it was like, but I never, I was not getting that in any sense in the present. So I didn't, I just, I, she was so yeah. one note to me all the time. Yeah. Every, I, didn't get, was... I didn't, I think the first few episodes I got that, particularly when um, George goes to the garage sale. That's a perfect example of what I'm talking about, I reckon. And she is, it's like her daughter never existed or if she did, she's just not interested in acknowledging, which is, I can kind of understand it, but there's, it doesn't feel like avoidance. It feels like anger. Yeah. Yes. But I th- one, I think it's in the writing and two, I, yeah, it kind of feels like that's, that's the character that, is is written is directed there and the and the actress does it and she performs it that way and if it is direct it's very easy that it could be a direction problem as well but mm. i would challenge you whether it's director or the actor i would mm. challenge you that yes the writing is not great yeah. i would challenge you to watch that scene again and go mm. could these lines have been delivered differently that would have given because i just don't the, the hostility she shows towards sort of George's un-George is that the Millie the, yes. the face that they because one of the things in the show is that the Reapers don't keep their appearance they do to other Reapers mm. but everybody else old family members and human race in yeah, general they look, completely they look completely different so she doesn't recognise her as George Joy doesn't recognise her as George it I look at the way she delivers her lines I can't figure out why she's talking to her at all the, the tone that she uses doesn't make sense that she would reveal any information mm. to this to this stranger and yet she does I mean that scene is just bad the fact that george is going after her like that and yeah and she's responding in any way of this stranger talking to her about her dead daughter it might be the writing it's trying to force it's just like smashing it over your head that like this is the beginning of something it's like oh god what did you think of the scene it was so short okay this is Mm. a funny thing that happened to me i accidentally watched episode 12 Mm. which is a clip episode oh, which we're going to yeah. come back to oh. but i saw a scene i accidentally watched that before episode 11 it was a dumb move but i realized i'd afterwards right. i'd missed it an episode 
And there was a clip in there where Clancy, they're looking for DJ, this dog that, that George gifts them that she got off someone. JD. JD, sorry. Just dog. Just dog. Mm-hmm. That, that George got from one of the people that she raped. Mm-hmm. Long story, not, not important. <laughs> no looking for, They're looking for the dog and the father, Clancy, and the mother, Joy, are in the car. And oh. nothing's been said. At, at this point, I saw the oh, clip. Wait, no, that's not what I, I, I saw the clip and Clancy goes... Maybe we should split oh, up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Joy goes, oh, well, if that's what you want to do, sure. Yeah, you just better get a good lawyer. A lawyer. And she's like, he's like, I think we should split up because it'll be better finding the dog. She's mm. like, oh, good idea. And I was like, ooh. Because like, at that point, I realized I was out of order, but mm. I just kept watching. I was like, ooh, that looks like an interesting. It's shot interestingly. It's from shot behind. really interesting. I enjoyed it. It was that a, scene. It, I was like, oh, I'm really interested to see what that whole scene looks like. That was the that whole was scene. That was the scene. It is a complete non sequitur, but between something that's happening with the Reapers, mm-hmm. we go to the shot in the car. Yes, tensions build up over the season, but it hasn't really been at the forefront of that episode yet. No. We haven't seen the build up to why hearing the words "we should split up" while they're looking would for a dog, she would immediately go there. To, and I was yes. like, oh, I feel like something is missing. And actually, Brian Fuller, his idea for the father character was Clancy. Clancy. Was that he was gay. And that's alluded to in the pilot in which when George is talking about the fact that her father is sleeping with one of his students because he's a college professor. Yeah. And you see at George's funeral, he hugs one of his colleagues for a very long time who was a man. That's right. They do allude to that, don't they? So they were doing that. I've forgotten that moment. One of the moments for George was going to be realising that, yeah, her father is, you know, definitely gay. Yep. And that she exists... Um, from a man kind of not living his own life or the life he probably should have been living. Sure. So that was going to be a dynamic and obviously a bit of tension between the parents, which I think would have been a really interesting layer to put on top of that. Um, But as it stands, it's just kind of, it's just that Clancy is distant. I think I think there's a pretty big illusion that he's having, he's an, having affair an affair yes. with a character that we meet in another episode, mm. a college. That goes nowhere, doesn't it? Well, it's it suggested, highly implied, but it hasn't been resolved yet. But I assume that's what they're going with. Yes, that yeah, that that's she would go then sleep two. with. I don't I don't know if we'll ever see Charlotte. I think Charlotte again. again. I don't. I think she was a one episode thing, which happens a lot, and it's really frustrating. But even if it's one episode, I think the implication is that if it's not her. There are several. He's doing yes. this a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. That's Go- an interesting episode, actually. The one where we get to know Clancy a little bit. That or was where, or where she says that no one in her family actually knows who Clancy is, which I thought was really sad and made me think about my own family dynamics. I'm like, oh, yeah. Sometimes that just happens. Well, I mean, this is um, it's true of the show. The show sometimes hits on yeah. emotional truth. It's just n- doesn't do it effectively or often enough yep. to be meaningful. Far and few between. Like, it's just... Few and far between. Few and, few and far between. Yeah, there we the go. Term. What English. Was, what was me the question we're well. talking about? We, we got off track here. We oh, start, we're just talking about joy, I think. And I was talking about that episode. I think so. anyway. <laughs> All right. I think that's enough. We've talked pretty extensively about how we feel about this show. So let's start wrapping this up. Mm-hmm. So first and foremost, favorite and then least favorite episodes. Um, can you go first on the favorite one? Because sure. I've got to think about it. My <laughs> favorite episode is. Going to be the Bicycle Thief episode eleven, mm-hmm. which is the episode I talked about being. It's the one where George decides to leave Happy Time, which is the office she's been that tipping. That is at. a great episode, yes. And there's a big party and stuff. Huh. She's 
See that little asterisk? That's your favourite episode? That's my favourite episode. There you go. So that was the one that we... At this stage, George has developed a bit of a relationship with Dolores. And we Mm. see Dolores, obviously, being upset with her leaving. We see George. um, She gets that new job and instantly regrets it. And that's an interesting... It's just interesting to see her come to terms with that she has made a connection there when she didn't expect she would. It's the episode where that both Daisy and Mason are connecting with some of their the people they're reaping and mm-hmm. they've got some character development and they, for a moment at least, are more than just their obvious character quirks. Yes. And I was like, to me, it was like, this is the best episode of this show because this is the one that expresses the potential of the show the best. This is what the show should have been a lot, lot earlier, mm-hmm. but it's the one episode in the whole season, I think, that really even comes close to pulling it off. Yeah, it feels cohesive. I can see what they're doing. I can see all the moving parts and I'm comfortable with the way the parts are moving. The A, the B and the C story actually all work together quite well to a cohesive theme. There is a good structure to that episode. The guest stars are all quite good in that episode as well, I think. Um, No, I really, I I liked that episode a fair amount. Mm -hmm. What about your least favourite episode? Oh, let me think. That would be episode 12. I think it's called Nighthawks. The Nighthawks, The Nighthawks. Which is a clip, extended a side. clip show, um, <laughs> in a show's first season. Not at episode twelve, I will remind you that is Holy absurd. Shit. That is so insulting that I... they think that they can do that. It's just ridiculous. I was you can't fucking furious. <laughs> so angry. <laughs> uh, yeah, once again, I was sitting on our couch with our other housemate watching it. And I was talking about, you know, how it was becoming a bit of a slog to finish this season. And then this episode starts and I'm being forced to rewatch it all. And I was like, nah, I refuse. So I skipped a lot of the flashbacks because I'm like, I saw this just a couple of hours ago. This is so stupid. I couldn't believe that it was happening, to be honest with you. I begrudgingly watched the whole thing, but oh, I did it. Well done you, sir. With a clenched fist. <laughs> I was so just screaming into a pillow. Angry. I I was so <laughs> upset that they were doing that. I just exactly what you said. Season, it's season one. It's mm-hmm. like clip shows. Even in shows that have been running for seasons, are mm-hmm. often bad. I think yeah. of like um, Scrubs has one. Yes, that is by far the worst episode of the entire show. Mm-hmm. It, it even it the connecting felt... bits are, are bad. Dated to me, sorry to interrupt, it just felt dated because it feels like something that happened a lot in like 90s sitcoms. You know, you've got a show that's been running for like five seasons, ten seasons, whatever sure. it might be, and then a sense of nostalgia is then earned by an episode. Like, like it's usually like the hundredth episode or something well, you, it will I, happen. I, one of the best episodes. justified to do that. Exactly. Episode 12 of your first season, yep. you can't do that. And it's also lazy because the kind – they – are showing you who these people are through clips. I'm like, you shouldn't have to do that. I should already know who these people are. I shouldn't need a condensed version to then go forward in the season. It was. It wasn't just that either. I think it was just honestly there were tenuous connections between these clips anyway. Like, the, oh, it was the, a stretch. The framing device was a stretch. <laughs> the actual things they were trying to show didn't always connect as well as they should have. Yeah. It was just. Listen, the thing about a clip show is that often it's because a show is over budget and they have an episode order and they need to reach that episode. Mm. A great example of, of that is 
you've watched Cora. You've watched all of Cora. Yes. Cora has one in its last season. That's right. I forgot about and that. And it sucks for the most part. <laughs> they do give it a nod. But one of the things I liked about that is that the creators came out afterwards and said, listen, <laughs> we know this is not good. They're but, good about that, though. They, they address their audience about issues pretty quickly. And they said straight up, like, we know it's not great. The mm. reason we did it is because we could either choose to have one less episode this season mm-hmm. and have people who have worked on this show for four years not get paid. That's crazy. Or we can make the clip show mm. and those people get an extra week's pay or an extra month's pay or have long these things happen. And that's really important to us because these people need they work their really jobs. Hard. Yeah. And like, and I understand that. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Far out in episode 12 <laughs> is a little too early. Just a just a fraction. <laughs> it's just it's Holy ridiculous. It's, it's actually laughable. When it was happening, I I was laughing. I mean, it was an angry laugh. It was a maniacal laugh, but I was laughing because I couldn't believe that it was. Yeah. That they had the audacity <laughs> to do it. It might be there. There might be good financial sense reasons for it to be there, but I don't have to like it. Yeah. And I really don't like it. I mean, just make a bottle episode well, it where, where you're that. in like just a white room so you don't have to pay for sets or something good it, lord it kind of was that though it was them doing those so what happened it was, was but it wasn't because it didn't do anything <laughs> it just wasn't good enough to yeah. be that way anyway moving on like well, glad we agree so we both have the same favorite <laughs> and least favorite episodes we're on the same page here do you have any predictions about where the show will go in season two oh my god well usually to make a prediction you need to like see a clear track or sure. projection of what is happening i can't see i mean i guess in a way i sort of can i oh, actually no I, I don't i don't have any predictions i'm not really sure the, about what because they could change it at any moment i don't they're unpredictable the one through line that i think exists the the, the cliffhanger that is there at the moment mm. the cliffhanger the one story thread that seems to be open to continue is that the ongoing tension between um, Joy and Clancy, the mother and father. Yes. That is not resolved particularly. That's obviously getting worse. And mm. even in the last episode, we see him making secret phone calls to somebody. Yeah, and a scumbag. Yeah. He, yeah. He's not. Yeah. He was never I a mean, good character, I, I, let alone. I think they will separate, if not completely divorce. Yeah. I th- it seems likely. I think that George will, I'm assuming, continue to kind of like push the boundaries of what's possible, what's not possible, how do things actually work and try to Do understand. you feel that way? Do you feel that hasn't, like, I thought that was the first half of the season. She's yeah. really stopped doing that. Well, She's not trying to find loopholes anymore. I don't they're going to take these characters, though, if it's not to, like, delve into the world a little bit more and try to understand it and how it functions. I would certainly hope that's the case, yeah. that, they, that they continue to work so on that. I would hope so, too. But we'll see. But yeah, it's kind of, it's really hard to tell. So my predictions were yeah. last parents parents splitting up, mm-hmm. which I think you agree with. I wonder whether one of the things I think the mechanics of the show have led to, I'm like, oh, I'm surprised this isn't a storyline yet, mm. is we found out in episode in episode nine, Sunday mornings, we Roxy takes the soul out of somebody oh, who's still alive awesome. and then puts it back in. Mm-hmm. Which is an interesting little wrinkle in the mythology because I didn't realise at that point that you could do that. Yes. Totally came out of nowhere and is never done again. Mm-mm. But it, it said, it put into a little, like gave a little wrinkle or put a bit of perspective on what the power of the Reapers are. Mm. Gave us a new idea of what they can do. I wonder whether there might be more to do with that, hopefully. Or I wondered whether it's possible. Now, I always assume the way the mechanics are that you, 
if they touched someone who wasn't going to die, that it wasn't going to work. But I wonder now, knowing that they can do that, whether they might oh. mistake someone. They might have somebody with similar initials in the last name and yeah. mistakenly release the soul of someone that wasn't meant to be and they maybe have to put them back together. Well, I mean, in those instances in which they're touching someone yep. and then they die, they don't take the soul out immediately. Directly. So if they touch someone and they don't die... It feels like they're sort of unlocking them. So I wondered whether maybe right. if you did that to some... This is me just speculating. Yeah. But maybe they do that to somebody, they're not the person that dies, but they get away. And maybe when they're asleep or something like that, they leave their own they body and they're left detach. in a coma and then they have mm. to get that person back into their body. That's kind of I could of see that being an episode. Yeah. Um, or I wondered whether they might do something, which I thought was pretty scary. What if somebody dies, they, mm. they try to get to that point and they unlock the soul and they die in a way that makes them very hard to get to mm. and they don't get there in time and the body is like, say they fall off a cliff or drown or I don't yeah, know, the but the they ocean. get away from them mm. and that person's left locked in stuck. that body, stuck, and that's a horrific idea. Oh my god! And then they have to go and release that person in mm. some extreme circumstance. Yeah, and I want. They were the two. I'm just thinking about the mechanics, what it could lead to. And that was the best one. I best two yeah, I came up right. with. Um, the only other thing I thought about was maybe because we started to another thing. Speaking of the mechanics of the mythology <laughs> and how it annoys me in episode uh, in episode thirteen, vacation. Yeah. The Reapers are left doing a lot of clerical work. They decide to go to, at that stage, George's old job at Happy Time and start inputting data into computers rather Mm -hmm. than do it by hand. And one of the characters from the office that we've met a couple of times... Oh, yes, the receptionist. The receptionist whose Mm -hmm. name I can't remember off the top of my head now. I don't her name either. She helps them. Yes. And honestly, must know what they are. How could she not know at that point what they're doing? They are data entering people's people's last last thoughts thoughts. before they die. Mm-hmm. And I think George says to her, hey, don't tell anyone. She says, I won't. Mm-hmm. But at that, up until that point, Rube was adamant that anyone who might know, because another episode where a schizophrenic guy yes. um, sort of twigs that, that he can see George, gravelings. He can see and gravelings. Can, yep. And she, he twigs that she's a reaper. And that's a massive no-no. Mm-hmm. And yet they've let this one person know. And, it's, and Rube was there and he's fine with it. I can't remember if this is the case or not, but in, I think it's the clip episode. Mm-hmm. And the waitress at the diner that they frequent, their hangout, she alludes to the fact that she might at least be beginning to understand that there's something weird about them and something weird is going on with them and they might be something other than what they claim to be. Is that what was happening in that? I I think she was just... She was helping them and we learned a little bit more about her, which was good because she's a character that's sort of in the background a lot. I I don't think it was explicit... Yeah. obvious that she thought they were reapers as much as it's... I kind of like when maybe I projected onto that because I kind of like the idea of them having maybe like a little community of people that knew who they were I don't know why but well, I just... Well, they're just the one where Roxy takes the soul out of the redneck mm. it's like that was the other one where Rube's like you need to make him because he ends up going very religious yes. and like the idea he he's thinks like, Roxy's God exactly and he's like what will happen is it will turn to a massive religion. There'll be bobbleheads of meter maids. She's a meter maid. <laughs> um, and because of this thing that you did, you need to fix this. It's going to mm-hmm. have a massive ongoing effect. Yeah. That he doesn't have that concern for these other people and it's not made clear why. 
it frustrates me that's the case, but it makes me wonder whether more people will just find out. And that's my prediction was, is that you may get the community of people around them. Yeah. More humans will know that they're reapers, essentially. Mm-hmm. And they'll maybe that's just where the story had to evolve to because it was being too restrictive leaving it any other way. Yeah. So that's my other prediction. That's basically it because I'm like you. I'm not really sure where this show can go. On a, on a macro... If we're, again, we want to talk about these things at a macro mm. level. I'm not sure... There's no obvious trajectory. Yeah. Let's think. I don't know where we're going because I don't know where we've been. Like, it's... <laughs> that is beautifully put. Yeah. <laughs> that is 100% exactly how it is. All right. Would you continue watching this show if we weren't doing it for the podcast? I think I would just to... You're s- insane. I know. I know. I'm a glutton for punishment. I think I would just so I have seen the whole thing. Because maybe, like, it's one of those things where it gets really good in, um, like, gets amazing in season two. And then when you go back and watch season one, you see the beginnings of something great. So I would just watch it just to say that I've seen it all and then leave it at that. But it wouldn't be because I want to. <laughs> it's just to kind of, like, yeah, complete it. Mm. And I'm, I can see in your face that you would, I would have, go nowhere near season two. If I hadn't given up already yeah. at the clip show episode, episode 11, I would have rage quit. <laughs> like, I would be, I was so out at that yeah. point. It had insulted me too much for me to go back to that show. I was so angry. Mm-hmm. So I understand that. Hard, I was angry too. Hard no. There's no way I'll continue on. And it's not like, it's not the worst show of all time because we'll get to this now. Final, well, final rating because mm. we can't put an order yet. It's still the best of the worst season of this show because it's not the stage. Worst shows I can think. They're of. all definitely worst shows, but I've oh, of got... course there are. I'm just trying to think of what shows I've like rage quit before. Walking Dead, baby. I oh, rage yeah. quit after episode five. See, I've I've now watched all of that. <laughs> I love it. There are a lot of people rage quitting at the moment based off what's been happening oh, recently. Oh, I know, but if, oh, God, everyone's drama queens. Yeah, Get it together, They people. didn't get a clip show. They've got no idea how bad <laughs> they can get. They haven't seen the things I've seen. Because out of five stars, I, I, I'm giving it two. And two is not horrendous. It's not a fail. Well, it is a fail. It's, it's less than 50%, but it's not... It's pretty good, though. You know, there is stuff there that's okay. There is definitely, yeah. like I said, I like Manny Patinkett and what he's doing. I reckon I've mispronounced his name eight times now, but I like Rube. Yeah. And his character, he gives his all and I connect with him on one level or another. Mm-hmm. I like Dolores, okay. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of the show and sometimes it works. It mm-hmm. doesn't work as a comedy, yeah. but sometimes there's interesting things to delve into. But far out, I was a slog. And it, yeah. while it's not the worst show, by any means, I've got zero mm. interest in continuing. Okay. I'm That's... dreading watching season two. <laughs> out of five, what are you giving it? I'm giving it a 1.75. One and three quarter stars. All right. Yes. We're really getting into the nitty gritty here. (laughs) Well, I just know that as we go down this rabbit hole of watching TV shows, it's just going to get more and more complicated with ratings and judging them up against ones that we've previously seen. I'm okay with just being 10 points though and some things feeling like, Two stars, and we look at them and go, geez, if they're both two stars, mm. there's a lot of room between them. I think that's okay. Okay. As long as, yeah, as long as we, we're okay. I mean, if it's 10 point scale, that's just yeah. what we're living I just feel strange giving this two stars when I gave season one of Breaking Bad three. See, for me, the difference between <clears throat> two and three is pretty big. 
Because oh, okay. I gave it three stars too, and I feel like there's a big difference between two and three. Okay. Three, like I said, I would, I really, I'm now especially looking forward to watching season two of Breaking Bad. Mm. I, there's a big difference between, yeah, curious enough to keep watching and I'm, I'm out. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I'm going to stick with 1.75. That's fine. That's fine. Somewhere between a one and a half and a yeah, two is it fair. It was just all over the joint it had it had moments of like oh that was nice or i i like that um particularly it was mostly just roxy i'm giving the 1.75 to roxy it's roxy it's roxy yeah i'm i'm thank you for this discussion i was really interested in seeing where this one would go because yeah. i knew that it particularly has come from one of your friends how highly rated mm. it was they were adamant you were going to really like the yeah, show i didn't i was <laughs> i was really worried that i was going to hate it and you were going to yeah. like it a lot that could have been interesting which would have been an interesting discussion but it was we would have had to like hold the microphones like 3 minutes away so we'd just be <laughs> screaming at each other but i but it was um i'm equally interested that we both ended up mm. enjoying about the same amount yeah all right yes th- oh, also can i just say that with me wanting to watch see oh that i would watch season two sure it's also because there's just one more season whereas i think with breaking bad i said that like i probably wouldn't be compelled to watch season two yeah that's because i know there's so much more to go sure but sure. it's a little easier to swallow just knowing it's one more season. so even if it wasn't for this project you want to you would con- you watch season one you mm. feel it's a 1.75 out of five, <laughs> yeah. but the fact that there's a season two and there's only one more season, yeah, that's enough for you to go. I'm curious enough to yes. keep watching. Yeah, that's a very different philosophy to mine. I'd be like, <laughs> I'm not wasting any more time on this show, even if there was only one episode, yeah. even if it was just the TV movie left. Yeah. I'd be like, no, just I'm to out. say that I, I, I tried, I'd really tried to, and yeah, I, just, <laughs> I don't want to, but I feel like I have to just to complete it. Well, on that pathetic note. <laughs> Let's end the show. Uh, thank you very much for the discussion today, oh, Thank Damask. you, Broderick. Um, so, if you would like to talk to us about the mm. show, is there something else you want to do there? No, that's fine. Okay. I was going to ask a stupid question. No, it had go nothing on. to do with this. Let's do it. What's the stupid I, question? I was just wondering if anyone's ever called you Broderick. Broderick? Yeah. Probably. Okay. I've had all sorts of variations. Right. Uh, happen- <laughs> <laughs> you're talking to a Damask, I so saying, I know what you're talking about. Damask? <laughs> That's the one I hate the most. The mask. Yeah. If you would like to communicate with us, uh, if you'd like to send us some messages or ask us questions, you can do that via social media. You can find us by searching for Hunting Seasons on Facebook. You can talk with us on Twitter at Hunting Scast or Huntingscast, depending how you want to break that one down. Or you can email us directly at huntingseasonspodcast at gmail.com. If uh, you ask us questions, we may try and reply via those social media or email, or we may even bring them up on the podcast. We will yeah. see how things go. A big thank you also to Sean Kirkpatrick, who designed the logo and graphics for Hunting Seasons. You can find him at www.seankirkpatrickdesigns.portfoliobox.net. And thank you also to Jordan Calavis, who designed our wonderful intro song and outro song. You can find his work at www.soundcloud.com slash classic J-Rex. That's classic J-R-E-X. Next episode, we will be going back to our ongoing review of Breaking Bad Woo-hoo. with season two, which, tell you what, after episode one, you it's know, it looks like, <laughs> like a hard road. I am now very interested yes. in it, though it is going to be a slog mm. with 14 or 15 or something like that. Yeah. 40 to 60 minute episodes, I think. They're pretty long episodes. 
I'm lucky right I've got notes. so much free time. That's, that is lucky for mm. you. So we'll be, that, we'll be back with that next week. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening to Hunting Seasons. We did was... you, sorry, did you want to give our personal Twitters and stuff? Oh, well? thank you for reminding me. You can also reach us directly. You can talk to me directly, Broderick Gordis, at B Gordis. What's your Twitter handle, Damas? Mine is Maskymoo, which is M A S K Y M O O. Excellent. And you can find us here again next week. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening. We will see you later. Bye. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.